0: Hello, this is Paul Bainsford, and this is the IPA podcast. This week, we're talking about ad blocking, a subject which is getting a lot of attention both inside our industry and outside of it. Uh, We're tackling this in two parts. Uh, This is the first part, and we'll be talking generally around ad blocking what it is, um, how it works, and how the IPA and others are working on the topic uh, going forwards. The second part will be about uh, how mobile operators are starting to block advertising and what it means in terms of trying to get to younger people who are, for the most part, the most prevalent amongst the blockers. Well, here I am with Steve Chester, who's the Director of Innovation and Programs at the IAB um, and something of an expert on ad blocking which is the subject for today's conversation um, I'm also joined by Nigel Guilliam, who's um, the IPA's consultant on, on media and, and digital in particular um, so ad blocking um, we, it's been the sort of um, it's been the big the big thing of almost the last 12 months I would say um, and there's no doubt at all that um, more and more people are becoming concerned about it particularly in advertising agencies um, and, I, th- and I, I think today what we'd like to do is to talk to, to you in particular, Steve, about your take on it and how concerned we should be. Because, I you know, one, hears disturbing levels of uh, usage of ad blocking um, software, particularly in Europe and on mainland Europe or continental Europe. I think in Germany and France, it's, it's, what would it be, 30% or... I yes, in those markets, thirty percent. Greece, thirty-eight. Thirty-eight percent in Greece, yep. according to according to my blog, and according to rather to to Page Frenadavy, the published their annual report. Wow. So, and and I know America's fast. It's a fast-growing issue, although they're not, they're perhaps a little bit behind, strangely, where we are in Europe. So, so let's just let's just kick off with what is that blocking? Just for the anyone who's listening, as you still sort of not quite sure what what it means. What, what how would you define it? what what, what is
1: it? So ad blocking, very simply, is actually preventing the ad from even appearing on the page. Um, so the content largely remains undisturbed and looks exactly the same, but with, without the ad being present. And this is mostly done through extensions for browsers. So it's, a, it's almost a piece of software, if you will, that you just download into your computer. Um, if you have a normal broadband connection, this will take maybe 15, 20 seconds Um, It installs automatically in your browser, and then you're blocking ads, so it's very, very quick for people to implement. Um, For mobile phones, uh, there are a variety of of methods. The most popular of recent has been apps that you can download from the App Store, and that will then block ads within browsers, but we're also seeing uh, some of these apps actually blocking ads within the app environment as well, so the app environment on mobile phones is not protected.
0: So, it sounds like Armageddon for um, advertisers and, and advertising agencies.
1: It's certainly a challenge. I mean, we don't, yes, it will be a challenge we need to address. I mean, There are many challenges of which um, the IB has worked with the IPA and ISPAR to address over a number of years, uh, most recently, viewability, brand safety, fraud. We always see a lot of excitement around these areas, uh, particularly not only from a B2B point of view, but B2C, and this is a, a business-to-consumer issue. So we're seeing a lot of interest uh, from consumer, tra- consumer and trade press alike. Um, and particularly for the press because it's, it's a real challenge for them actually transitioning traditional revenues to digital revenues has proved a challenge. Moving that to mobile is more of a challenge again and then actually then having some of their, 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 their revenue eroded further again by ad blocking is a real concern for them. So it's no surprise they've picked up on this. So I think we're seeing a lot of fervor and excitement around this, but I don't think it's Armageddon. We're seeing a linear increase in ad blocking. So it's, you know, we're not going to see advertising drop off the face of a cliff tomorrow but we definitely need to have a strategy and uh, approach to address it, mm. because otherwise, in the medium to long term, it will become a big problem.
0: And and some um, some of the um, publishers online, who it seems to me often the ones that also have offline publications, have taken the step, haven't they, of of saying to any viewers, you if you want to go further, you've either got to switch your ad blocker off or you've got to pay. Is that is that right? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we're seeing. Not a cat and
1: mouse, but we've seen, uh, particularly in the news groups, there was we we're waiting for the first uh, newspaper publication to block ads. Indeed, we've seen to block ad blockers, and we've seen that with City AM, a daily publication on its digital uh, title. We're seeing about 20% ad blocking. So they're conducting a test with people who specifically use one type of browser as a means of a test to actually block access and give people information about why they're blocking access to content. And asking either to unblock their blocker, or, or potentially in the future, then pay for subscription instead. They're not offering that currently at the moment, but they're trying to inform the user and saying, "Are you willing to accept advertising and unblock? And if you're not, then we can't give you access to the site." So we're seeing that with City AM, um, ITV, and Channel Four have been blocking uh, for a number of months now, so they've both put notices up, and we see that's probably been successful. We haven't seen any figures on those yet because they have very unique content and people who want to access it we think are likely to unblock. But for news and other content where it's more pervasive, um, certainly a bit more of a challenge we think for those publishers because there's already access points where they can actually get onto the internet for free and continue and have their own block and access news. So would people be willing to unblock that or would they then transition to a competitor who's still offering free access and not having that block notice? That's the concern at the moment.
2: It's almost a parallel to... What's happened in news content provision where you have some people putting up a paywall, but if they're not, you know, archetypically something like the FT, which is almost impossible to replace uh, in the minds of consumers, you have a, you can have a swing of, of the audience to the continuing free sites.
1: Very much so. Like. Yeah, so we need a concerted yeah. effort. We definitely to have we definitely need a concerted effort to make sure that doesn't occur. Um, and that's currently what we're working on with IPAs by other trade bodies and the wider industry to try and galvanise. And say so we actually need a, a, a really thought-through strategy whereby we not only improve the ad experience, that's one aspect, but we go further and actually give people advice notices that are coordinated across different publishers to say to people, um, actually, you can't have access to this content if you continue to block ads. This is why. And giving people the choice. You know, if we just do it bit by bit, publisher by publisher... Then people will see that migration, some of the audience and some of those people who are willing to take that risk,
0: actually potentially losing out of revenue in the short term. What um, I, mean, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but to what extent do to, um, people that are using uh, the internet and sites know about the fact that advertising is effectively funding their you know what they're enjoying? I mean, I I wonder. Um, to what extent people do understand that because obviously if they if they do follow the economics of the whole piece then there would one would expect there might be some uh, leniency towards advertisers actually wanting to, to to get in front of them do you have any any research on that i think it's asking question really person and
1: we asked that question actually within uh, some research we've, we've, con- we've done three rounds so far actually asking trying to measure who's who's blocking why they're blocking and then try to ascertain their views about whether or not, when we give them that information, whether or not they change their minds. Um, and we found on the second round of research that over half the people who were surveyed, and it's about 2,000 adults, is a UKAF survey, so it's reasonably representative, that 56% didn't know that by blocking ads on their websites, which they're enjoying the services for free, they were withholding revenue from those from sites. So that is a massive concern because people aren't making the link. I think if they just think about it for a moment, they would realise, of course, that the advertising appear on that site isn't going to be free. The, brand, you know, the, the website isn't just going to let the brand advertise for free without any uplift at all. Um, but they don't think about that because they've always thought about the internet being free at the point of access since 1994. So why shouldn't it be, continue to be free? So they don't make that link. So there is a case definitely to answer in terms of saying we need to make sure they do understand. Um, consequently, on the follow-up piece of research, we asked people and said, actually, if you're presented with a choice about either unblock keep the status quo, don't pay, or pay for content, then three-thirds of 60% said, actually, I would rather have a free experience and continue to see ads rather than pay for it. There's some militant people who said, I'm not willing to do either. I don't want to pay for it. and I don't want to see ads. About 20%. But, you know, 60%, so free ladies, yeah. yeah. 60% said, yes, I, I am, and now I understand this, and I would prefer to have a free experience, continue free experience with ads, you know, rather than not having access at all. For the, sake, for, for the sake of clarity, would it, it it would be useful to
2: look at the spectrum of what is and isn't covered in, in ad blocking? If you if you imagine so, Absolutely. for example, um, and, and I think this pertains to different kind of uh, you know, routes forward that advertisers and marketers could adopt. They could say, well, actually, what we need is a, a native advertising strategy. But actually, some native is would be blocked, so, or they might say, we need a content mm-hmm. strategy. Uh, but at the same time, in-app advertising um, that's first-party related, so I would imagine something like the Facebook app, that wouldn't be affected, to my knowledge, by, um, by app blocking. So could you give us an overview of that? I'm slightly uh, taking over the interview. I hope that's a suitable <laughs> question, Paul. I think it's a wonderful question. Um, I think,
1: yeah, I think very perfect question. I think broadly what we're seeing is that within, on a desktop environment, both uh, native and traditional display advertising around the periphery of the content can be blocked, and all of it can be blocked, uh, including Facebook and, and, and Twitter as well. So they're in-feed native uh, ads being stripped out. Uh, when we move to the mobile environment, the mobile web, that continues to be the same. If we go to mobile in-app, you're absolutely right, that's where there is a difference, and both Twitter and Facebook at the moment seem to be immune on their in-app feeds, uh, particularly because the ad blockers can't distinguish between the content and the advertising of those two, those two platforms within an in-app environment so it could then push uh, more people towards in-app and native within the mobile environment um, and actually then serving ads uh, from their own serve their own content management system because mm. any ads that third-party serve any anything has got an ad call on it that's what the ad blockers look for they look at an ad call Third-party anchor or an anchor, and they say right. You can there. you just
0: explain that? Yeah, for the for the harder thinking like me,
1: what, what that means. So it's just a piece of code. When you when you actually go to a website and the page content loads, if you actually look at the code of the web page, you'll look at all the code which delivers the content, and within that there'll be a piece of code which actually calls the ad. Majority of ads uh, within the UK, most Western markets are served by third-party 3rd parties. Third so it's not the publisher themselves that serves the ads. There's a piece of code that often is, 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 is hosted by the agency on behalf of the client, which then holds the advertising and when the page loads, it then says you need to go to this, go to this server to get the advertising from the agency or the, or the brand and put it back on the page. And, and that's what the ad blocker specifically looks at. What that means is if it strips that out, obviously the ad isn't delivered, but it goes further than advertising and can strip out uh, pixel codes which allow you to actually see whether or not somebody's landed on a site and if they convert. It also dist- sort of destroys analytics, so anybody's first-party analytics can be destroyed as well. Um, and it, and it, you know, it's a real challenge, You know, and, and that's what they look for. So we're seeing a bit of a cat-and-mouse game amongst some publishers trying to obscure uh, their ad calls from their content, and consequently we're seeing our blockers retaliating and actually blocking all code on some websites, and actually disabling the ability to update, so we're seeing this sort of arms race between Ooh. the
0: two. And have I? Uh, I've also read that some uh, some of the big guys, uh, like Google and others, um, have have paid the ad blockers to whitelist their ads. In other words, it's like playing paying protection money to you know to the mafia. They're saying, "Well, we'll we'll pay you if you let our ads through." Um, A is that true? and B, isn't that a sort of dangerous strategy because what's to stop them coming back for more money like a real mafia guy would and, 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 and saying, well, if you really want this to happen, you have to pay more. The specific example I think you're highlighting
1: is a company called Adblock Plus. It has a holding company called EIO, it's E-Y-E-O, which is a German company that owns Adblock Plus, which is the leading uh, ad blocker in the market by downloads. So of the 200 million downloads which Adobe and PageFair estimate, uh, Adblock Plus count for about 60 million of those, so it's a significant player. Um, Adblock Plus was designed in 2006 by a Russian developer on the basis of blocking all ads. Uh, and About four to five years later, they then evolved and said, so, well, actually, by doing so, we might be endangering a key funding element of the internet-free open web. So we're going to develop an acceptable ads policy. The way that works is that they have a very constricted policy of what they determine to be an acceptable ad. Generally, it's static ads, with um, uh, various means of engagement with the user. Uh, just around the periphery of the the advertising. Um, Some forms of native seem to be allowed, although it's a bit spurious at the moment, but it seems to sort of roll the clock back, maybe 10, 15 years in terms of ad formats. Oh, banner
0: style things. Yes, just
1: completely static and all banner ads, and and that's it's very prescriptive, that they determined in silo with some consumer feedback, some user feedback. And what they say is that if publishers conform to this, they will be willing to let through those publishers and allow those ads to be shown on those sites. And they say that 90% of their publishers they do not charge for this service, but 10% they do, and they try, they classify those 10% as what they call large publishers. It isn't. It isn't. It isn't. There's no insight in terms of what that means, you know. So is it revenue? Is it just by what they tend to think as large media companies? But you think about Google, Facebook, other companies of that size. We don't know specifically who the companies are. There've been some articles written, I think, that uh, by FT and others proffering suggestions that large media companies may be involved in this, Um, but we don't have a definitive list of who it is at the moment. And if they are for-profit, and let's make no bones about it, they're a for-profit organisation, they are not a not-for-profit keeping the lights on. They are diverting publisher profits, and they're a for-profit organisation, diverting and actually asking these publishers to pay. Now, for those those ones that that do allegedly pay, it's a real challenge for them in that they have a significant portion of their audience, potentially, who are blocking, but don't realise why. Or, or you know the, the extent of it what it means um, and they may feel that they need to to then actually then engage with our block plus to actually then unblock those users but we don't have any suggestions or data from those companies individually suggest they are, have actually signed up to this and so the FTR there's a couple of FT articles that suggest large companies that may be part of this and Adblock block plus have neither confirmed nor denied all we do know is typically the the revenue upside, where they make their money, is asking for it's alleged thirty percent of the revenue they unblock, which is significant. So that, you know this is a money making scheme as well. They, they they put the consumer at the heart of this, but they're
0: making money mm. from this one. So um, I want to talk a little bit about what this might mean for the actual type of advertising that that is served, because um, there's a sort of ethics question, I suppose, around what kind of advertising. You should be putting on the internet, because if the consumer, forget about the middlemen and the companies that are making money on this, if the consumer is saying, I don't want ads, that should be telling us as an industry, the ads that we're serving, not exclusively, but by and large, are ads they, they do find irritating or too intrusive. So do you think this will herald an era where we'll go more towards ads that are less intrusive, faster download, don't track you, all that kind of stuff. I mean, is that that where this is heading, do you think? Absolutely.
1: I mean, there's no doubt about it that we, you know, all trade bodies, including the IB, obviously, then push forward best practices. And in this case, it's about making sure that ads are relevant, that they're not intrusive, that they're quick to download. We are seeing, however, some things in play which um, slightly cancel and counter against that. I'll give you an example. will be Adobe Flash. Um, has been unfortunately the target of, of hackers and it's meant that, that you know, they've been very challenged and that as soon as they develop and um, a, it's an approach to try and stop the hacking somebody else finds a loophole. So we're seeing then a migration towards HTML5 which is more appropriate and that what it does is it adjusts content and advertising according to the device you're on which is good but the file size increases as a result of that because we haven't yet got to a stage where we can condense the file size to the same degree as Flash Um, and that potentially could mean that uh, file file downloads um, and speed and time increases in the short term but that's something we have to address because that's a security issue um, and we need to move more towards HTML5. So um, in that case we're actually seeing some things in play which are preventing um, moves in that arena but the IAB has spearheaded an initiative called the uh, Lean Ads where we're actually trying to then suggest uh, new ad standards uh, whereby we can make sure that those things are looked at, so we can make sure that ads are light in file size, that they're encrypted, because that's both important from a security point of view, to avoid, to avoid malware, security issues, but by encrypting it, it disables our blockers' ability to block ads. Making sure that there's some kind of feedback loop for the consumer, similar to our choices, the blue icon that's used for retargeting ads, and actually making sure that consumers have the ability to understand how the data is used and control it. And then non-intrusive, and that piece here is on at the end, which is non-intrusive, what is non-intrusive? We're doing a bit of a deep dive and working closely with the IPA, is and others, and all of our members to say, what does non-intrusive look like from a consumer point of view? What formats do we have and where do we need to draw that line? And that work's taking place now with the ability to then roll those standards out next year as part of an education programme towards consumers to say, this is what advertising supports, but we abide by a strict set of guidelines. We are improving the experience. And particularly mobile is the place where I think we need to improve the experience because Already we're seeing people highlighting saying, well actually on a mobile environment, that actually affects people's back pocket because there aren't there are unlimited data plans, but you have to pay a lot for them. Most people pay for that download, whereas on their broadband it tends to be more fixed. So we need to make sure that it limits the cost implication for the consumers. So they enjoy a free web, free open internet, with free
2: access to services, but they aren't inadvertently appear to be charged by downloading apps." I mean that's a <clears throat> that's an interesting one in relation to Uh, the CEO of EE's kind of interview at the weekend talking about uh, possibly looking at restricting ads but but before we just move on to that Mm. could you just expand a bit on the encryption the E of the lean because you you said so it's encrypted so that it can't be Picked up by the ad blockers? Yeah, so that's one of the byproducts of it. So clearly, we we had
1: uh, services like um, I think Yahoo in 2000, for Christmas 2014 was hit by a malware attack on this mail product via advertising shown within Yahoo Mail. Um, by encrypting it and Yahoo's now encrypted their, their their Yahoo Mail and the ad calls within it, so the ads delivered in it are now encrypted. That helps to protect against malware. So, one of the key benefits is it improves security, but one of the byproducts is, is you can actually make it secure and encrypt it. The ad blocker cannot see an encrypted ad call, so if they right. can't see it, they can't block it. Right. So it, it's 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 a benefit, a byproduct of it. Yeah. So it's good practice, but we, we definitely want to promote it for, for all of the above reasons. Yeah. That's a pretty good byproduct. It is, and it's good. So it's um, and you know we think that again, it's just a good approach and something that you know, all people should do. You know, all publishers, all media brands should do.